Welcome to the January 18th, 2024 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll discuss the findings from a prospective trial of TCR-alpha-beta CD19 cell-depleted HLA haploidentical transplantation to treat pediatric acute leukemia. Learn more about the incidence, clinical characteristics, and survival of malignancy-associated hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis in Sweden and discuss the bone marrow as the primary site of thrombopoiesis. We first examined data in the blood article entitled TCR-alpha-beta-CD19 T-cell-depleted HLA haploidentical transplantation to treat pediatric acute leukemia, updated final analysis by Pietro Merli from the IRCCS Bambino Gesù Children's Hospital in Rome, Italy, and colleagues. TCR-alpha-beta-CD19 cell depletion is a graft manipulation strategy used to prevent graft-versus-host disease, or GVHD, in patients lacking an HLA-matched donor or those in need of an urgent HLA haploidentical-related hematopoietic stem cell transplantation, haplohsct, for their leukemia. The challenges with this approach include post-transplant T-cell immune reconstitution, which lags compared to T-cell replete grafts, and increased risk of infection and relapse. To date, TCR-alpha-beta-CD19 cell depletion has shown the most promise in pediatric patients. The authors have previously reported the results of a Phase 1 and 2 clinical trial to assess the safety and efficacy of TCR-alpha-beta-CD19-depleted haplohsct in a cohort of children with acute leukemia. The findings showed that this type of transplant has a low incidence of both acute and chronic GVHD and non-relapse mortality, and leads to outcomes comparable to those of patients receiving an HLA-matched donor transplant. Several additional studies have reported similar results after TCR-alpha-beta-CD19-depleted haplohsct, indicating that this approach may be a valuable alternative in patients with acute leukemia who may need an allograft. The purpose of the current study was to provide an update on the author's experience in a larger cohort of patients with longer follow-up. Herein, they report on a cohort of 213 children with acute leukemia treated with TCR-alpha-beta-CD19-depleted haplohsct. The trial enrolled children and young adults with either lymphoblastic or acute myeloid leukemia who received TCR-alpha-beta-CD19-depleted haplohsct between September 2011 and January 2022. All patients received a fully myeloablative conditioning regimen based on a combination of total body irradiation and or cytotoxic drugs. Together with chemo-radiotherapy, patients received anti-T lymphocyte globulin and rituximab. Chimerism analysis was performed biweekly for the first three months and monthly thereafter. Immune recovery was evaluated one, three, six, and 12 months after transplantation. Donor cure repertoires were analyzed for natural killer cell alloreactivity using genetic and phenotypic techniques. 
all patients received the transplant while in morphological complete remission, with most patients being negative for minimal residual disease. The median follow-up of surviving patients was 47.6 months. Transplant engraftment was successful in all but five patients, with a median time to neutrophil and platelet recovery of 13 and 11 days, respectively. The five patients experiencing graft failure were rescued with a second allograft, from the same or the second parent. Relapse was the most common cause of treatment failure, occurring in 44 patients at a median of 192 days. The five-year cumulative incidence of non-relapse mortality was 5.2%, and the cumulative incidence of relapse was 22.7%. The projected 10-year probability of overall survival and disease-free survival were 75.4% and 71.6%, respectively. Importantly, cumulative incidence of both grade 2 and 4 acute and chronic GVHD were low, at 14.7% and 8.1%, respectively. Only four patients had visceral GVHD, while the skin was the only organ involved in all other patients. A multivariable analysis for disease-free survival revealed that the use of total body irradiation in the conditioning regimen, disease status at HSCT, and pre-HSCT minimal residual disease were independently associated with the outcome. Interestingly, patients with high minimal residual disease who received more than 33,000 residual TCR-alpha-beta T-cells per kilogram had a significantly better disease-free survival and overall survival without increase in GVHD than those with lower residual TCR-alpha-beta T-cells. The authors concluded that their findings confirm the good outcomes reported previously for TCR-alpha-beta, CD19-depleted haplo-HSCT, and allow the identification of patients at higher risk of treatment failure, for whom personalized approaches are needed. In an accompanying commentary, Katja Weinacht, from Lucille Packard Children's Hospital in Stanford, California, notes that the findings reported by Merrily and colleagues suggest that allogeneic transplant outcomes are no longer defined by the availability of an HLA-identical sibling donor, and that TCR-alpha-beta CD19-depleted haplo-HSCT represents a feasible alternative. Moreover, Merley and collaborators demonstrate that the use of total body irradiation-containing fully myeloablative conditioning improves the outcomes in children with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is in contrast with the results of a recently published U.S. multicenter study reporting superior two-year disease-free survival and overall survival in children receiving reduced toxicity conditioning without total body irradiation. Surprisingly, also in contrast to the PTCTC ONC1401 trial, the authors found that natural killer alloreactivity and donor Kier B haplotype had no effect on survival. Here, the authors hypothesized that the influence of NK alloreactivity may have been concealed by the impact of other effector populations, namely gamma-delta T-cells. 
Despite these promising findings, Vinocht and Packard caution that host immune reconstitution and long-term disease control remain the Achilles heel of the HAPLO approach and highlight the challenges associated with reproducing these results in a resource-poor setting. They conclude that the research community should continue to insist on an equitable access to high-quality care among pediatric transplant recipients. Next up, we'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled Malignancy-Associated Hemophagocytic Lymphohistiocytosis in Sweden, Incidents, Clinical Characteristics, and Survival by Alexandra Lofsted from the Karolinska University Hospital in Solna, Sweden, and colleagues. Hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, or HLH, is a severe form of hyperinflammation caused by immune dysregulation and excessive activation of macrophages and lymphocytes. It is also known as the cytokine storm. HLH diagnosis is based on the fulfillment of five of eight HLH 2004 diagnostic criteria. There are two forms of HLH. The primary form of HLH is caused by aberrations in genes involved in the cytotoxic pathway, while secondary HLH is most commonly triggered by infections, malignancies, or autoimmune and autoinflammatory conditions. Together with infection-associated HLH, malignancy-associated HLH, or MAL-HLH, is the most common form of secondary HLH. Studies to date have reported that between 50 and 70 percent of adult HLH cases may be malignancy-associated. The most common hematological malignancies associated with MAL-HLH include T and NK cell lymphoma, B cell lymphoma, Hodgkin lymphoma, and leukemias. The incidence of MAL-HLH has been estimated to be around 1% in patients with hematological malignancies and as high as 9% in patients with AML undergoing intensive chemotherapy. Currently, MAL-HLH is a subgroup of secondary HLH with the worst prognosis. Moreover, the exact incidence of MAL-HLH remains unknown and may be underestimated. The purpose of the current study was to evaluate the incidence and prognosis of MAL-HLH in Sweden and characterize its clinical and laboratory features using information from population-based registries. The study included the entire Swedish population between 1997 and 2018, approximately 9,330,329 individuals per year. Data from the Swedish National Patients Registry and the National Board of Health and Welfare in Sweden was used to identify patients with HLH-associated diagnoses and malignancies, classified according to the International Classification of Diseases, or ICD. The ICD-10 diagnoses, D76.0 to D76.3 and C96.0, were used to identify patients with histiocytic disorders who also had a malignant diagnosis, coded C00 to C97 in ICD-10. Additional data on the subtype of cancer and the date and cause of death was retrieved from the Swedish Cancer Registry and the Cause of Death Registry, respectively. Incidence rate was calculated as the number of individuals diagnosed with MAL-HLH per 100,000 individuals per year.
the study identified 307 adults and nine children with an HLH-related diagnosis and malignant disease, according to ICD-10. This corresponded to an incidence rate of 0.19 per 100,000 adults per year. The rate increased from 0.026 in the period between 1997 and 2007 to 0.34 in the period between 2008 and 2018. In the most recent seven-year period, the incidence was 0.45 per 100,000 adults per year, varying from 0.18 to 0.71 per 100,000 adults per year across the six healthcare regions in Sweden. Malignancy-associated HLH was reported in 0.6% of all hematological malignancies and was most common in males aged 25 to 29 years, occurring at a rate of 2.8%. The one-month probability of survival, representing an HLH episode, increased from 52% in the period between 1997 and 2007 to 71% in the period between 2008 and 2018. The two-year survival remained poor at 25%. As far as malignancies are concerned, 52% of patients had lymphoma, 29% had leukemia, 8% had other hematological malignancies, and 11% had solid tumors. Interestingly, men were more affected by mal-HLH than females, even when the overrepresentation of men with hematological malignancies was considered. A review of medical files from 1997 to 2011 revealed that HLH was misdiagnosed in 13% of reported cases. Taken together, these findings indicate that the annual incidence of malignancy-associated HLH increased tenfold between 1997 and 2018, and that early survival improved significantly, probably due to increased awareness and more HLH-directed therapy. In an accompanying commentary, Beth Martin from Stanford University School of Medicine in Stanford, California, notes that the study by Lofsted and colleagues presents an important benchmark for malignancy-associated HLH, including the demographics and outcomes of adults with this rare inflammatory disease. The study reports very useful data on significant differences in mal-HLH with respect to age and gender, types of malignancies associated with this condition, lymphoma survivorship curves, as well as specific histologies underlying the disease. Findings from the 2012 to 2018 cohort highlight the predominance of younger males in the mal-HLH cohort, especially those in the age range from 20 to 50 years. Moreover, the study also reports one very sobering finding, that the two-year survivorship after a malignancy-associated HLH diagnosis was dismal at only 25%. Martin notes that changing this dismal overall survival curve will require both a deep understanding of why paraneoplastic inflammation leads to such consistently poor overall survival, as well as highly effective T and NKT lymphoma therapies. In addition, the focus should be on early HLH detection and risk stratification outside of specialty centers, rapid turnaround times for essential biomarkers and microbial studies, use of less cytotoxic, non-steroidal anti-cytokine therapies, and accelerated diagnosis of the underlying HLH etiology.
In the final part of today's podcast, we will review an article in Blood entitled The Bone Marrow is the Primary Site of Thrombopoiesis by Nathan Asquith from Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, and colleagues. Megakaryocytes and platelets play a range of important roles in health and disease. While platelets have elaborate roles in cancer metastasis, inflammation, and immunity, megakaryocytes are important for thrombopoiesis, as well as adaptive and innate immune responses. Even though megakaryocytes have been found in multiple tissues, the contribution of extramedullary megakaryocytes to circulating platelets has only been investigated recently. Latest studies suggest that megakaryocytes in the lung contribute to 50% of platelet production in mice. Conversely, studies in humans estimate that intravascular megakaryocytes in the lung contribute approximately 7 to 17% of all platelets. Moreover, lung megakaryocytes have been reported to be of low ploidy and demonstrate immune-like transcriptional profiles. Recent studies indicate that megakaryocytes also have roles in infection and inflammation. A subpopulation of bone marrow resident LSP1-positive, CD53-positive megakaryocytes has been associated with pathogen recognition and clearance. On the other hand, splenic megakaryocytes are believed to be a significant source of platelet production during inflammatory challenges such as sepsis. With the emerging contradictory reports of extramedullary megakaryocytes and their roles in platelet production, there is a need for a better understanding of their role and relative abundance in healthy tissues. The purpose of the current study was to investigate the relative abundance of megakaryocytes in the adult murine bone marrow, spleen, and lung using a range of analytical and microscopy techniques. Bones, spleens, and lungs were harvested from C57BL6J mice, and mice fetal livers were harvested from CD1 mice. Flow cytometry was used to quantify the total numbers of long-term hematopoietic stem cells, megakaryocyte progenitors, and megakaryocytes, immunofluorescence microscopy, light sheet fluorescence microscopy, and two-photon intravital microscopy were used to visualize and quantify megakaryocyte numbers. Ex vivo quantification of megakaryocytes was performed in hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells supplemented with thrombopoietin. Proplatelet formation was evaluated for each organ using shear-driven proplatelet formation assay. Flow cytometry revealed significantly higher numbers of hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells and megakaryocytes in the murine bone marrow compared to spleens or perfused lungs, demonstrating that the spleen and lung are not critical sites of megakaryopoiesis in adult mice. Experiments performed using two-photon intravital and light sheet microscopy, as well as cryosections, confirmed these findings. Moreover, ex vivo cultured megakaryocytes from the bone marrow showed a higher capacity for proplatelet formation in static and microfluidic assays compared to megakaryocytes from other organs. Analysis of previously published murine and human sCNA-seq datasets 
revealed that only a small fraction of megakaryocyte-like cells is in the lung, and that they likely only marginally contribute to steady-state platelet production. The authors concluded that recent studies highlighting the non-conventional roles of megakaryocytes call for a definition of clear criteria for defining megakaryocytes based on their transcriptional profile, surface marker expression, and morphology. In an accompanying commentary, Alessandro Malara from the University of Pavia in Pavia, Italy, and Alessandra Balduini from Tufts University in Boston, Note that the findings by Asquith and collaborators demonstrate that the bone marrow is the primary site for platelet production. They add that the strength of this study lies in its multidisciplinary approach that includes whole mount light sheet and quantitative histological imaging, flow cytometry, intravital imaging, and the examination of sCNA-seq databases. The observed low frequency of megakaryocytes in the spleen is in line with the existing understanding of splenic megakaryocytes serving as a significant source of platelets in inflammatory conditions, during immune responses to infections, or in cases of failed bone marrow hematopoiesis. What was more intriguing is the sporadic detection and characterization of lung megakaryocytes and their distinction from the megakaryocytes found in the bone marrow and fetal liver. This study also raises several important questions, including whether megakaryocytes originate directly from the lung in myeloproliferative neoplasms. Evidence gathered to date indicates that hematological diseases typically originate in the bone marrow. Malara and Balduini conclude that numerous emerging tools will likely provide new insights into the intricate mechanisms of platelet production, which will have to be confirmed using clinical observations. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.